morning. I want to welcome you today to Life Center, whether you're worshiping with us online or you're here in the house. So glad that you're here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Tyler. I serve as the senior pastor. You know, today's a significant day for our nation. Today marks 21 years of 9-11, 21 years to the day. And so in a moment, we're going to just say a prayer over our nation. But as well, this last week, Queen Elizabeth passed. And I was marked by one of the stories that I heard her share. She was talking uh, to a priest at one point, and she made the comment, she longed that Jesus would return in her lifetime so that she had the opportunity to cast her crown at his feet. Not a beautiful, beautiful thought. And man, I, I pray that that's the position of each of our hearts, that we realize there is a real king and it's not us. His name is Jesus. And he's worthy of all of our praise. So would you join me right now in a moment of prayer? We're, we're going to pray over our nation today. Jesus, on this 21-year anniversary of 9-11, Lord, the day that shook our nation as terrorism showed up on our own home soil, unlike we had ever seen. God, I pray that you would continue to have mercy on our land. God, continue to have mercy on our nation. Would you give those in places of authority, wisdom, and discernment? And God, we pray that your church would rise up, Lord, that we would be a part of the work that you want to do to bring hope and bring healing in this land and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Today we're going to continue on in our study that we started a week ago called Judges. Can you say Judges. Now, for those who are new to Scripture, Judges is an Old Testament book, which simply means that it kind of recounts and tells the story of God's plan and God's design in this ancient people group known as the children of Israel. Where it falls in the storyline of Scripture, we read in Genesis that God spoke into the nothingness and created something, that he took all the chaos and made order out of it. He, he spoke into creation what we know, and part of his creation was Adam and Eve, mankind. And they had a specific purpose. They were to be image bearers. They were to carry out the assignment that God had given them, but something went horribly wrong. They, choose, they chose self-rule instead of coming under the rule and reign of God. Things went sideways, but God's plan would not be thwarted. Later on in Genesis, we read that God chooses Abraham out of all the people of the earth, and he makes a promise with Abraham. He, he makes this covenant with Abraham, and he says, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham's family continues to grow, and pretty soon, that small family becomes what we know as the 12 tribes of Israel. They end up in Egypt because of a famine. They end up in slavery in Egypt. They cry out to God, which is one of the themes that we're going to see in the book of Judges. They cry out to God. What does God do? God raises up a deliverer named Moses. He leads the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the what should have been the promised land. But the problem is the people complained. I know that's hard to imagine that people complain. Have you ever met somebody that complains? See, one of the things that Scripture is describing, often, when, especially when we look to the Old Testament, we have a pattern in the church where we look at these people and we say, I should be more like them. 
Can I just remind you? No, you should not. Because one of the things we realize as we read through even the Old Testament is these people are broken and flawed, and it makes our heart long for somebody who will actually get it right. More on that in a moment. They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That generation dies. Moses, he looks out. He sees the promised land, but he can't actually enter in. Joshua, his successor, is the one who's chosen to lead the children of Israel into that land that had been promised to them. They, they take over the land. They kind of expel the, the nations that live there. And then something happens. That generation dies. The generation who saw the faithfulness of God, the generation that ate manna in the wilderness, the generation that saw the waters part. And we read this summary statement in Judges chapter 17, and this is kind of our anchor as we journey through the book of Judges. It says this, in those days, Israel had no king. It was just a collection of tribes. Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound anything like the world in which we live? See, here's the point. What we're reading about throughout the Old Testament and even in the book of Judges is this continual process of the human condition. And even though God raises up judges, it makes you realize pretty quick even though these judges help bring and usher in some level of freedom for the people of Israel, it's not lasting, it's not permanent. It makes the reader long for a true and better judge that will rise up and actually do something for us that will last for eternity. Friends, can I tell you, his name is Jesus. And so as we look at these stories, understand, the, the object lesson isn't, how do I be more like this person? especially in today's message. Because today we're going to look at two judges, and I've titled today's message, When Life Gets Messy. When Life Gets Messy. Uh, how, how many of you have ever experienced a season, a week, a month, a decade where life just felt messy? I don't know about you, I don't like mess. I, I don't like mess. Some people can tolerate, some people can live in mess, I cannot tolerate mess, but here's what I've learned now in my 40 plus years of life, 43 to be exact, life gets messy. And I'm a pretty easygoing person. Now, I, I have a few idiosyncrasies. Some of them center around how I interact with food. One of, I believe, God's gifts to humanity was the invention of tacos, amen? I mean, like, tacos are evidence that God has smiled upon you, you are highly favored. Like, tacos are amazing. But there's, there's a little bit of a challenge every now and then that I have when it comes to eating tacos. Usually at our house, if you stop by the Soli home on a Tuesday night, it's usually Taco Tuesday. And my wife does an incredible job of making these tacos. They're street tacos. So you have these small little flour tortillas, and I love them. And I, I, I realize one plate is not enough. Go ahead, judge me. One plate's not enough. Can I get an amen? One plate's not enough. And yet the challenge is, as I'm eating tacos, there's something that happens. You go to bite into a taco, and some of the taco juice drips out onto the plate. 
and I want to do everything in the world to avoid getting taco juice on my hands, and so I eat my tacos very carefully. And because of this, I started a pattern a number of years ago that I feel like is completely rational and completely normal. When people see me do it, they think I'm insane. And what is that? In between sets of tacos, yes, I eat tacos in sets. But after set one of tacos, what do I do? I take my plate that has all of the taco juice on it. I walk over to the sink. I rinse the plate off. I dry it off. And I go back and I load up a new plate. How many of you think that sounds crazy? How many of you are like, Tyler, that is the most sane thing I've ever heard you say. Amen. People look at me. My kids ridicule me. My kids think I'm crazy. Dad, why are you washing the plate in between sets? And here's why. If I load up another set of tortillas on top of the juice, when I go to pick up those blessed tacos, the juice is going to get all over my hands. And not only that, friends, the tacos will split open and they will be ruined. And I don't want to ruin God's blessings in my life. Life gets messy at times. Ultimately, there's two types of people in the world, those who eat tacos correctly and those who need salvation. It's okay. It's okay. All are welcome here today. Here's what I love about Scripture. One thing that Scripture does not hide is that life is messy. Scripture doesn't try to airbrush or sanitize what's going on in people's lives. In fact, Scripture makes it pretty clear people mess up. Scripture makes it clear that people have issues and they create issues that need some cleaning up. Life gets messy. Last week I shared a graphic with you, I wanna do the same again this week, where it talks about this cycle that we read in the book of Judges, And this is important because we see over and over and over again in this book, this pattern that the people of Israel end up engaging in. And what is that pattern? Well, there was a generation of Israel that served the Lord, Joshua and his followers. We read this last week in Joshua chapter 2. But that generation, they, they died and another generation, it rose up and they did not know the Lord or the things he had done. And so what happens? Those people, they fall into sin and idolatry. And because of the sin and idolatry in their lives, they become enslaved or oppressed by foreign kings and rulers and nations. Things finally get bad enough, and it doesn't take a matter of weeks. In fact, for Israel, it seems to take a number of years for things to get bad enough to where they finally call out to God. Maybe you've been there. Things finally get so miserable that you have no choice but to surrender. Israel cries out to God, and what does God do? God, even though Israel caused the problem, God is still faithful to create provision. He raises up a judge, and that judge functions as God's chosen person to help deliver Israel. And what does Israel do on the other side of that? They say, okay, we're going to serve the Lord. We're never going back there again until a few verses later. And you read 
these statements. Again, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and this is a pattern, but here's what we need to understand before we get too cynical about Israel. Can we be honest for a moment and just recognize that's not just an Israel issue, that's an us issue. Because as much as I could look at that, I could replace that word Israel with Tyler. Tyler serves the Lord. Then Tyler forgets about the Lord and Tyler falls into sin and idolatry and because of that I end up in a place of of oppression or brokenness or being enslaved to sin and usually it's not until things get bad enough that we finally call out to God for some help. And here's the amazing thing about this God that we learn about even in the Old Testament and again it's pointing us ultimately to put our hope in Jesus God continually answers the people's cry for help. They're creating the problems, and he still shows up. How many of you know we we serve a good God? You see, Israel, they, they continue to do what's right in their own sight, and things continue to go from bad to worse, but God still raises up a judge to deliver them. And I'm so thankful that we don't just have a temporary judge, but we have a perfect savior his name is jesus that's what all of this points us to today we're going to look at two judges they both they step into a messy moment they both lead through messy situations and they even take part in actions that are a little bit messy today here's what i want you to know and understand Our God does unlikely things. God does unlikely things. In fact, that's one of the things that you find yourself, as as you read through the Old Testament, you find yourself scratching your head going, "I, I did not see that coming. I did not expect that. See, as we're about to discover, God is going to clean up the mess, and he's going to do it in an unlikely way. And by the way, Today is really for those who are tempted to think that the Bible is sometimes boring. Because can I tell you, these two stories that we're going to look at are anything but boring. We're going to focus on two judges, Ehud and Deborah. In Judges chapter 3, I'm going to give you a quick summary statement of what we are going to look at. Judges chapter 3, we read the story of Ehud. And here's what this story looks like. We're going to read about a southpaw, a left-handed person, a fat king, a knife, a toilet, and a victory. Some of you are like, Tyler, do you realize you're in church? Yes. Do you realize what's in your Bible? Because we're going to read some crazy things today. It doesn't stop there because we're going to turn the page and we're going to look at Judges chapter 4. And we're going to read about Deborah, who was a female prophetess who engages in a battle. There's an individual who takes a nap and a tent peg happens to get involved. You see, without understanding the the context, it's easy to read these stories. and, And maybe you're a little bit like me. Sometimes you've been reading through the Old Testament and you're like, why is this in here? What does this have to do with anything for my life in 2022? Well, it's to remind you of this cycle in the human condition that needs rescue. And the permanent rescue is coming. 
It's building hope in us that, that God would somehow set right what has gone horribly, horribly wrong. And friends, that solution is Jesus. Friends, God does unlikely things. God does unlikely things. In fact, as you read through these accounts today, you're going to find yourself saying, I didn't see that coming. And here's what I know as somebody who's followed Jesus for a lot of years now. There are so many times as a follower of Jesus that I kind of scratch my head and go, I didn't see that coming. God does unlikely things. Look with me, Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12 as we read about this man named Ehud. It says this, the Israelites again, can you say again? The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Does that sound familiar? It should because we just read that in Judges chapter three, verse seven last week. He gave King Eglon of Moab power over Israel because they had done what was evil in the Lord's sight, after Eglon convinced the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join forces with him, he attacked and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms, or what we would know as the city of Jericho. The Israelites served King Eglon of Moab 18 years. 18 years they're in this place. 18 years they're under oppression. 18 years they're suffering the consequence of rebellion. And it says this in verse 15, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he raised up Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed Benjaminite as a deliverer for them. The Israelites sent him with the tribute for King Eglon of Moab. King Eglon had set up this system where Israel every year would have to come and deliver tribute. And, and here's the dynamic. We read something interesting in this description about Ehud, this deliverer that God has raised up. The author zooms in on the fact that he's left-handed. Why? Well, as you look at the original Hebrew, some scholars believe that there was potentially a, a malformity or a disformation with Ehud's right hand, his ability to use what should have been common. And yet this is the individual that God chooses, a left-handed man. It goes on. Ehud made himself a double-edged sword 18 inches long. He strapped it to its right, his right thigh under his clothes, and he brought tribute to King Eglon of Moab, who was an extremely fat man. Don't you love that scripture doesn't whitewash things? <laughs> so here we are. I mean, th th imagine this is the first story you ever sit down and read. Okay, so I'm reading scripture. The Israelites do what's bad. 18 years. They finally cry out to God. God raises up a lefty. And now he's making a double-edged knife that he conceals and He's delivering, delivering this tribute to an extremely fat king. Thanks, God. I mean, what do you do with that in your Bible study, right? Look, look with me. Let's go to Judges chapter 4. Let's look at Deborah. It says this, Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The Israelites again. Can you say again? Anybody noticing a pattern here? 
The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. Here's what's interesting. The victory that Ehud, which we're going to look at in a moment, lasted 80 years. But it only took a group of people 80 years to forget what the Lord had done and begin to do what they wanted to do. Again, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army, Sisera, who lived in Harbesheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. Now, many times when we think of judges, this is what we assume a judge does. They, they sit in a place, they, they make judgments. But when we look at what judges do throughout the book of Judges, they're actually people that are appointed by God to step in and bring deliverance for God's people. But here's Deborah, female prophetess, not very common, but we see a number of them throughout Scripture. And it says this, she summoned Barak, son of Abinam, from Kedesh in Nephtali, and said to him, hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go! Here's Deborah reminding an individual of something that God had already said to do. You see these two different stories back to back, and we notice something about how God does unlikely things. First is this. Notice that God uses unlikely people. God uses unlikely people. This is so important for us to understand. Ehud, he's a left-handed, potentially defective in the right-hand individual that God says, out of all the people who can do this, you. That's unlikely. Not only that, we, look, we turn the page, chapter 4, we, we see the story of Deborah, a female prophetess, and God says, I want you to use your voice to remind Barak, but we're about to see what happens when Barak hears this information. See, what's the point? The point is this. Don't count yourself out. For those of you who assume that God only uses specific types of people or people who have it all together, you're about to read some crazy things today, friends. And God uses, not only does he do, do, do unlikely things, he uses unlikely people. He uses unlikely people. Think about it for a moment. Throughout scripture, God used unlikely people. Moses stuttered. King David slept with another man's wife and then had him killed to cover up his sin. And oh, by the way, scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. What? How does that work? Noah, he gets off the ark and gets drunk. Peter denied knowing Jesus. John Mark deserted Paul on a missions trip. Can I tell you, God uses unlikely people. 
And the moral of the story is not try to be more like them. The moral of the story is none of them could get it right, so God did through Jesus what no one was able to do. God uses unlikely people. All of these people had flaws, friends. All of these people had stuff they were looking, let me, let me say it a different way. All of these people had some messes in their lives. I won't ask for a show of hands today. But how many of you, you're working through some stuff? You're, you're not quite there. And, and here's where the enemy sometimes traps us as we convince ourselves, well, since I'm not quite there, I, I need to sit over here and do nothing. No, God, God does unlikely things, and God, he uses unlikely people. God isn't intimidated by your mess. He uses unlikely people. Do not count yourself out. But not only does God use unlikely people, understand this, God uses unlikely methods. God uses unlikely methods. In other words, what he will do is often different than what you might expect. Think about it for a second. Judges chapter three, Ehud is sent by the people of Israel to deliver tribute to a king who has gotten fat off of what they are providing. You ever felt like the enemy is just getting fat off of what you are journeying through at your expense? Here's this king. Here's this situation. God's raising up an unlikely person, and yet God's going to use an unlikely individual named Ehud. He's going to bring a message from God to this king. But can I tell you, the message is going to be very different than the, what the king expects. It's an unlikely method. Think about Deborah for a moment. We see in Judges chapter four that she reminds Barak of his assignment. But Barak says something interesting to her in the next few verses. He says, I won't go unless you come with me. And Deborah responds, here's the deal, I'll go, but you need to understand something. You're not gonna receive any honor or glory in this because God is going to hand your enemy over to a woman. Again, counter-cultural in this time period. And so Deborah goes with Barak into battle and they rally the people of Israel and, and they charge after those enemies. And Sisera, who's leading King Jabin's army, flees on foot, running for his life. And where does that lead him? It leads him to the tent of Jael, a woman. And Sisera, he's, he's trying to hide. He's looking to spare his life somehow. And, and he says, please let me hide in your tent. And Jael says, come on in. Why don't you lay down here? And he's, he's hungry, so Jael is hospitable. Beyond what is normal or expected, she offers him some milk. And she says, go ahead and, and go. Why, why don't you sleep a little bit more? Here, let me cover you with this blanket. Can you say, oh, she's so kind. And Sisera falls asleep. And while he's asleep, by the way, I was a youth pastor for a long time. My middle school boys loved this story. Because while Sisera is asleeping, sweet little JL, the gift of hospitality, walks in with a tent peg and a hammer and takes that tent peg 
This is in your Bibles, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who are convinced the Bible's boring, read it. Because sweet little JL lines that tent peg up with Sisera's sleeping head and drives a tent peg through his skull, pinning him to the ground. Life gets messy. And God uses unlikely people. And can we just get real for a second? God uses unlikely methods. Can we just let what happens sit for a second? An enemy goes on the run, hanging out, receiving hospitality, and then ends up pegged to the ground by somebody who just offered him a cup of milk. We're okay with this? Like, yeah, Tyler, of course. That's just what happens in Scripture. God does unlikely things. He, he, he uses unlikely people. Jump back to Ehud for a moment, because we, we haven't even fully unpacked Ehud. Imagine God comes up to the people of Israel and is like, hey, hey, come here, come here. You guys, I got a plan. I got a plan. I got a plan. Okay. Here's my plan to get us free. And you're sitting there going, okay, what, what is, what is, here, here's, what I, here's what I'm going to do to deliver you. I'm going to get a guy who has some issues in his right hand. You're like, okay. And, and, and here's what, he's going to make a double-edged sword and hide it under his clothes, and then he's, he's going to go to the king and he's going to deliver tribute, and then he's going to leave with his friends, and then he's going to turn around and go back to the king, and then he's going to tell, he's going to tell the king, I have a secret for you. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're like, okay. Well, like a king is going to be that dull to go, oh, you got a secret for me? Okay. But that's what happens. In fact, the king sends his bodyguards out of the room so Ehud can deliver a message. And, and Ehud, he's, he's going to tell the king what the message is. King, I have a message for the Lord, for you. Ehud stands up. He's big. Ehud grabs the knife and stabs him, and scripture says this, that the king was so fat that it literally swallowed up the entire knife and you couldn't even see the handle. Why is scripture that detailed? Can we just admit these stories are a little bit messy and a little bit weird? The weirdness doesn't stop there. Ehud is now in front of a dead king locked in an upper chamber where there happens to be a toilet. Ehud has now killed the king, and Ehud, after killing the king, he's going to escape out of a toilet. And the guards are going to give him time to do that because they think the king is in the bathroom. Exactly. And Ehud uses that as his escape plan. 
Oh, but, but then God continues to tell you what he's going to do. And then the guy who just stabbed the fat king, who crawled out through the toilet, is going to show up. He's going to blow a horn. All the Israelite army is going to gather around the dude who just crawled through a toilet. And then I'm going to use him to lead the people to defeat the enemy. Hey, God, can we talk about this for a second? Because that method doesn't really seem likely. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't tell you everything that he's going to do beforehand? Because if we're honest, we realize God uses unlikely methods. God uses unlikely methods to deal with a mess. Think about it. This same God who used Ehud and used Deborah in that manner, it's the same God who used unlikely methods throughout Scripture. What do you mean, Tyler? Well, a shout somehow could bring down the walls of Jericho. Friends, that's unlikely. A killer of Christians could be responsible for writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Friends, that's unlikely. Grace in the form of a whale to rescue a runaway prophet. Friends, that is unlikely. Blood on the doorposts of the house to avoid a plague in Egypt. Friends, that is unlikely. Jesus raising up 12 ordinary individuals who would somehow turn the world upside down. Friends, that is unlikely. But not only that, in the book of Revelation, John has a vision of heaven. And John sees the Lord seated on the throne and and God is there and he's asking a question, who is worthy to unroll the scroll? And we see in John or in Revelation chapter five, John is broken because he realizes there's nobody good enough. There's nobody worthy. But then the angel says to him, don't cry because look, and what does John see? He sees what is a lamb that has been sacrificed and slain. But somehow that sacrificed lamb is alive and victorious and worthy to unseal the scroll. Friends, can I tell you, it makes no sense for the source of our victory to be a lamb that was killed. But can I tell you, God uses unlikely methods. His name is Jesus. John has this vision of of Jesus, our perfect lamb who was sacrificed. He had died, but he rose again. And because of his victorious death, friends, we too can experience victory, which leads us to another part of what God does that is so unlikely. And what is that? God provides us unlikely confidence. You look at Ehud, how, how did he have the confidence to do that? God provided it. You look at Deborah, And even the things that she was willing to say to Barak and even kind of prophesying how J.L. was going to be the one who would defeat Sisera. You look at this. In verse 28, Ehud in chapter 3, he calls all of Israel and, and he simply says these two words, follow me, follow me. Some of us, we think that type of confidence is is normal and natural, but can I tell you, if you just crawled through a toilet... You're probably not telling everybody, hey, follow me. And trust me, people probably don't want to follow you at that point. Unlikely confidence. Deborah literally looks at Barak and says, 
I'll go, but you're not gonna get the honor in this. You see, when life gets messy and you navigate the mess, understand, our confidence is never in us. That's why we don't read the Old Testament to just try to find the moral of the story on how we can get a little bit better. As we read the scriptures, we understand we're brought to the end of ourselves, recognizing I can't do this, God, because just like that pattern in Israel, it's the pattern in me, and I need a true and greater rescuer. The confidence isn't in us. The confidence is in our Lord. Amen? That's why I love Paul's words. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Can you say unlikely? God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Can you say unlikely? God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's our confidence? It's the Lord. See, only the Lord could elevate and use an unlikely person and, and go about it in an unlikely method to create an unlikely outcome. In the middle of the mess, God shows himself again that he's willing to wade in the mess to pull his people out of the mess. Our boast is in the Lord. He's the provider, friends, of unlikely confidence for what it is that you and I are facing. Esther was willing to perish if that's what it cost. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when all others bowed down, they remained standing up. Daniel continued to pray even though it was illegal. Stephen died as a martyr, not letting go of the hope that he found in Jesus Christ. Friends, there was an unlikely confidence that God provided and he continues to provide. And this matters, why? Because as we live with a confidence, not in our, of ourselves, but in the Lord, it becomes an inspiration to others. Why? Because the 633,000 plus individuals in Pierce County who don't know Jesus and they're not connected to his church, they end up seeing lives and they, they say to themselves, well, if God could do it for them, maybe he could do it for me. That's why this matters. Don't count yourself out. He uses unlikely people. He continues to do so. He uses unlikely methods. There's gonna be times, if, if you're following Jesus, trust me, there will be times where you will say, I didn't see that coming. It's the journey of faith. But in the midst of that journey, understand, he provides unlikely confidence. Life gets messy. Life gets messy, but the good news is we serve a God who does unlikely things. The reality is all of us, we, we helped create the mess because we've all sin. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short, but God doesn't leave us there in our own ability. See, God raised up an unlikely solution, an unlikely method. He sent himself. He sent his one and only son, the incarnation, clothed himself in flesh. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we all should have died. But friends, the good news is this. 
Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus is alive. Because he's alive, our faith in what he's done for us can change everything. So today, I want to talk about two things that I want to pray about before we're sent out of this place on assignment. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you've been trusting in your religious activity. Maybe you've trusted in your church attendance or your giving or your serving, but if you're honest with yourself, you haven't really put your trust in Jesus. Can I tell you, God has provided you unlikely mercy before you ever took a step in his direction. See, by trusting what Jesus has done for you, you can know that your debt is paid, your sin is forgiven, you have a fresh start with God. If that's you, here's what I wanna ask. There's a little card in front of you that says next steps. And on that, there's a box that says, I'm saying yes to Jesus. If that's you, I'd love for you to check that box because we wanna help you move from that decision to walking every single day with Jesus. That's called discipleship. The second next step is this. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, Tyler, I need some of that unlikely confidence. Maybe your confidence has been robbed the last couple of years. Maybe there's some challenges. Maybe there's some circumstances that you've been navigating and you realize, man, my confidence has been shaken. I, I'm not leaning in by faith anymore. I, I'm not actually kind of moving the mission of Jesus forward. I, I show up, I sit, I receive, I consume, but I'm lacking confidence. Friends, if that's you, I want you to, to write that on that Connect card. And here's why this week we're gonna be praying specifically over that and over those names. Because there's some of us God is calling us off of the sidelines. It's time to get on the field. It's time to engage, to use the gifts that God has given us. The third option on that next steps card is this. It's for those who are maybe new to Life Center and you wanna get connected. We wanna help you get connected. We wanna do that today. So today, can I invite you all across this room? Would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna take a moment to close us in prayer. Those who are at home, would you stand up as well? I wanna take a moment and pray over us before we're sent out of this place today. Jesus, I thank you for the reminder today that you are the true source of hope. We look at all these Old Testament characters and at some level, they, they never quite measure up. They leave us hoping and longing for a greater deliverance, a lasting deliverance and Jesus that's only found in you. Thank you that you use unlikely people, you use unlikely methods and as well, you provide unlikely confidence. Help us to walk in that this week. Help us to be aware of it. Holy Spirit, would you stir up faith in our hearts, in our lives? Today, maybe it's your desire to say yes to Jesus. You wanna know that your debt is paid, your sin is forgiven. I'm gonna invite all of Life Center to pray this prayer together. Would you join me? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation and help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision today? Listen, before you're sent out, I'm going to invite our pastors and prayer team to join me up front. If there's anything we can pray with you about, we would love to be able to do that today. And remember, we don't dismiss church at Life Center. We send the church. Why? We don't just go to church. We are the church. So even after this gathering's over, we're still being the church on assignment this week. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Take care.